he was talking about, you know, meeting out in front of there with a with a couple of handguns and, you know, more or less a gunfight at the OK Corral. Welcome to the Corner Booth, where conversation is on the house and everybody has a story to tell. If you want a deep dish pizza, there's a thousand places you can go in the city of Chicago. If you're craving a hot dog or an Italian beef sandwich, everybody's got an opinion about who's best. But when it comes to renting an apartment on the north side of the city, there's one thing all the locals agree on. And it ain't Zillow or Apartments.com. It's Hunter Properties. Randy Pavlock is the big boss over at Hunter Properties and the godfather of real estate in Chicago. Recently, the godfather was generous enough to sit down and have a conversation with me about all things Chicago real estate. In our talk, we cover everything from vintage architecture to cholera outbreaks, Al Capone to the Chicago fire, and so much more in between. It's the story of Hunter Properties, a story as epic as Chicago itself. I want to talk about that because it comes across as you are sort of like the godfather of real estate in the city of Chicago. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always surprised when people come up to me that I you know, want, and the very few things I go to, like the Lincoln Park Builders Club, that people come up to me and say, you know, and introduce themselves and tell me that, you know, that I'd, I'd bought a building that they tried to buy and that I always beat them out of it and they're, and I'm their idol, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, I never think of it that way. You know, if you've been around long enough, I guess, and you've had some success, well, then people get to know who you are. What was it about real estate? You know, real estate was completely accidental. I started college with a scholarship in pre-med, and I got sick in my junior year, and I was in the hospital for several months for them to determine what was wrong. They found out I had a a defective kidney that had very low blood flow that was causing high blood pressure, and it had to be removed. And they did the surgery. I was in the hospital for three weeks. Medicine wasn't quite as advanced. This is in the, this is in 1971. You know, after that was all over, I missed most of my junior year. Again, I lost my appetite for being in pre-med. And the order for me to graduate, you know, in three years and with my class, then I, I switched majors to English literature. I had a lot of classes in that subject already. And I graduated with my class with a degree in English, and I was going to teach school. That was my, that was the change of plan that happened to me. And my wife's grandmother was managing a building, and she was going to retire. So she wanted to know if I wanted a man to take her place temporarily until I could secure a job teaching high school. And I did. And that was a building at 530 Barry in Chicago. And I wound up living in the building, managing the building. It was 32 apartments and taking out the garbage and doing all the repairs. And I wound up doing all the painting, all the book work, all the renting. And then a year later, the building was purchased by a gentleman in the restaurant business who was going into the real estate business. And he started buying buildings. And Within another two years after that, I was managing about five different buildings, about 150 apartments, and doing all the work in all those buildings. And I, in 1977, I wound up getting my real estate license. I started doing sales in addition to management. So it was just by accident that I wound up managing buildings. So you stumbled across it by accident, but what made you stick with it? I mean, several things. One of them is I like the fact that I was out and about, that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't stuck in an office somewhere. You're always going from one building to another. 
you know, inadvertently, I wound up learning all the trades by having to do those things. In fact, by 1976, we had bought a house. Our, we bought my first building in, in the house in Indiana, the beach house. And I learned that I like to build things. And so, uh, you know, I self-educated myself in the techniques of carpentry and electric and plumbing. And we learned all those trades, which had become, which were rather invaluable in terms of managing a building, you know, throughout the rest of my life. If you know the job and you're familiar with it, uh, you have a better appreciation for what people are, you know, doing, how hard the work is, what's appropriate to charge by what's involved. And, uh, you know, you have some respect for the people that work for you because you know that you've done it yourself and you know how difficult it is. Let's be honest, too. You have some really cool buildings. Like, these aren't just throwaways. Like, they are historic Chicago landmarks, some of your buildings, correct? Yes. You know, you don't become a manager or be in the real estate business, I think, if you don't have some appreciation for the real estate. And we have a lot of different types of buildings, although vintage buildings, are, you know, are primarily the buildings that we've we've worked with. I have great admiration for the way old vintage buildings, those buildings built primarily in the 1920s until the, until the depression of 1929. They did a tremendous amount of building in Chicago in the 1920s. If you look at all the vintage two flats and homes and big apartment buildings that were built in roughly a 10 or 10 or 12 year period, it's astounding considering that every two by four was cut with a handsaw, that bricks were being laid by hand and they were complicated decorative patterns, you know, a lot of terracotta work. The average bungalow in Chicago and most apartment buildings is three rows thick. You know, those buildings will last virtually forever if properly cared for. You know, they designed apartments uh, 80 or 90 years ago that still function today, whose layouts still work. I mean, I can't think of many other things that were things that a layout or, or design that still works 90 years after it was first tried. They had good judgment. And I and I've always believed that they they knew really what they were doing. They were very skilled at it. And I have an appreciation for that. What can you tell me about the bullet holes out front of that one building? <laughs> 922 West Eastwood. We had purchased the building some years ago. It has a very nice terracotta facade building. The two top floor units are duplexed apartments, which is very unusual in a, in a vintage buildings. Not many units. Now it's very typical to build a building that has duplexed apartments, but not then. We found out when we rented one of those duplexes, one of our tenants sent me a Tribune article that a gangster had been killed in front of the building in the 1920s, which was something that I had never heard before. Apparently, this particular gangster who worked for a North Side, the North Side Syndicate, which is run by a florist named O'Banion, who got into an argument with Al Capone, and people generally didn't win arguments with Al Capone. He once challenged him to a duel at, like, State and Madison Street. <laughs> Tutan Tony, I think, was the, his nickname, what kind of a duel would that have? I mean, how, how do you duel? Oh, he was talking about, you know, meeting out in front of there with a with a couple of handguns and, you know, more or less a gunfight at the OK Corral. A little too public an affair for Al Capone to get involved with. <laughs> right, right. You know, but what had happened was that Al Capone killed uh, O'Banion and he, and he also killed his some his guys most famously in, in the Valentine's Day Massacre, which happened at the Biograph Theater on Lincoln Avenue. Al Capone took offense at this and he hired 
ordered uh, some people to kill him. They rented a unit in the building across the street. And apparently this was a, was a technique that was adapted by the guy they were about to kill. They had a sniper and a guy with a shotgun uh, and a guy with a handgun from across the street. So the shotgun and the, and the rifle were across the street. So they waited in the front of the building and he and his wife walked out of the building. As soon as he walked out of the building, the guy with the rifle started shooting at him. He wounded him several times. A guy with a shotgun shot at him as well, did less damage. And as a follow-up, the guy with the handgun ran across the street after he was wounded and shot him to make sure that he was mortally wounded. And then they all ran back, got back into the building where they were shooting from. They went out the back door to the alley where they had a car waiting and they took off. And of course, they were never apprehended. He was taken by ambulance, died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, having been shot several times. You know, when you look at the building, when we purchased the building, I knew there were some holes in the terracotta, which is unusual. You can get a crack in terracotta, you can get the surface damage, but sure enough, after I heard the story, I went back over there and took some pictures, and clearly there were some holes in the terracotta where they normally wouldn't be. I find that to be, you know, pretty fascinating. Do you attract renters because of those kind of stories? Are people looking to live in those kinds of buildings because they want to sort of be part of that bit of Chicago history? Well, I think they know that any of the older buildings, many of the buildings, the vintage buildings with a lot of studio apartments were built when the L-line was constructed along the lake. And most of those buildings provided like linen service and all those other amenities, which were millennials at the time that worked downtown, they wanted. They came as furnished apartments. They didn't have to buy furniture. So they kept linen in service, get ice delivered for the refrigerators. The building we have at 1061 Rosemont was a building that Humphrey Bogart stayed at whenever he was in Chicago. So when we restored the lobby of that building, we even went and we replaced the terrazzo floor with a new similar terrazzo floor, put in Art Deco lighting from that period. We restored all that back to the way it was. You know, it's just a nice touch. I, I, I have a fondness for antiques and I have a fondness for, you know, vintage buildings. I enjoy their construction. I think a lot of tenants like that appreciate that too. Al Capone and Humphrey Bogart, that's curious company. And given the area that a lot of your buildings are in, who else you has mean been? Who, who else may have frequented one of our buildings in the past? Yeah, I'm curious about that. Well, I've had two buildings that had speakeasies in them at one time or another. One of them had a basically a house built on the roof of a building. The building had a concrete roof. It was a five-story building. It was on Damon Avenue. It was still in the same condition as it was when it was closed up as a speakeasy. It had a very elaborate kitchen sink, not a kitchen sink. It was a very big terracotta-type sink that was very fancy with very ornamental furniture, and I kept that as a souvenir from the building. Sometimes I'll wind up keeping one piece from the building so that I have something to remember the building by. We also had one at Clark on Chicago Avenue near Clark, which was also a speakeasy, and that was part of the um, uh, managed property for Harry Levinson, who was a very famous jeweler in Chicago. I don't even think he was aware of the fact that there was a speakeasy upstairs until we went up there to see what it was like. Obviously, that becomes rarer and rarer as time goes on, as buildings are renovated. I don't particularly like things that are brand new. I know it's trendy right now to like new construction, but you know, I like some stuff with, with a little bit of history compared to uh, Europe and, and London, where they had buildings. That, you, know, you can find buildings that are five, six hundred years old. You know, our history is very limited in relation to that. You really love these buildings. This is more than just I get it, it's business, but like you really love this stuff. I wouldn't have done it so long and worked so hard at it if I really didn't care about it. When we go to look at a building to buy, I get a certain vibe from the building. 
it's a feeling more than it is, you know, anything analytical. Obviously, we're concerned about the, the potential of the building and is this building going to work as a viable apartment building? There's a numbers calculation to do, but there's also generally a feel for I can tell what in a vintage building, if it was a well-made vintage building, most of them are very well-made, but some better than others. And when you run into a vintage building that was an especially expensive building to build at the time, well, then you can have a lot of appreciation for that. And nothing is better in my mind than, than having what was a beautiful vintage building in the 1920s and restoring it and trying to keep any vintage touches in that building um, and bringing it back to the, a, a condition that it was when it was in its when it was originally built. I mean, most of the vintage buildings, like the one where the gangster was shot, they have little alcoves in the way you prefer to work in, and that's what those were. That was the telephone stand built into the wall. Well, I always leave that in. You know, because it would be a shame to cover it up. Right. It looks right. It looks right. And people can put their keys there now. There's no phone there, but it's part of the heritage of the building. You know, that's kind of like destroying history. That has to be something that's unique to Hunter, because I can't imagine that every other property management company out there is paying attention to those kind of details. Usually if somebody else has done other work in the building, then we have to redo it. And that's worse than doing it again. I have respect for the guys that built the building. I assume that when they built the building, they knew more about steam heat, which is prevalent in a lot of vintage buildings, than technicians know today. I try not to disturb anything that's vintage in the building. If it has a pointed arch in there or a stucco arch in one of the apartments, we always keep that. If we create another where an arch is necessary, we'll try to duplicate the arches that are already there. I don't know if other people do that or not, but I just think it's a nice thing to do. What we make now a lot of times are cheaper than what was there before. In fact, most of the buildings are vintage buildings that have exterior nice lighting. If someone has replaced original lighting, you know, more appropriate to the period, rebuilt fixtures, some buildings we've had. There are some reproduction vintage fixtures you can buy, but to me, nothing is worse than taking a, you know, a brand new Home Depot picture and sticking it on a vintage building. I think it diminishes the building. In addition to being one of the best places, you really are one of the most practical places to rent with in Chicago, too, correct? I never wanted to be in the high end of the rental market because the high end of the rental market, if there's a recession, and I've probably gone through three or four of them in my time, well, you know, the high end gets hurt the most and gets hurt the fastest. You know, I prefer to have nice entry-level housing. Studios and one-bedrooms are fine. A lot of investors tended to frown upon studios, the feeling being that maybe the turnover rate on studios was too high, but I've never found that to be in entirely true. Studios are usually the most affordable sector of the market. And if there is a recession and things go badly, you're the last one to get hurt. Our turnover rate's about 15%. Uh, the apartment luxury buildings downtown, their turnover rate is like between 55 and 65% a year. And that's brutal. The one thing you can't fix when you buy a building, if it's an ugly building, you can't fix ugly. After the 1871 fire, they built everything. You know, everything they wanted brick. Our electrical codes in Chicago were the most stringent in the entire nation. Same thing with plumbing codes and lot spacing. You know, one of the reasons the fire spread so quickly, there were a lot of frame houses jumbled together, all quite flammable. Watching out for fire has been the mantra of the building department in the city of Chicago since that time. There were also a lot of great architects at that time. And they all had projects, and they all wanted to rebuild the city, you know. So a lot of things happened, and we got the opportunity to rebuild the city again. 
you know, kind of from scratch, you know, making the best of a bad situation. Everything in and around that Chicago area is just so beautiful. And you've got buildings everywhere, right? We have buildings primarily on the north side of Chicago, but we have a lot of buildings in a lot of different neighborhoods. And each neighborhood is distinct. Each neighborhood has its own story. As they expanded the L lines through various neighborhoods and various L lines, Development followed those, well, probably starting 1910 and 1915, but mostly through the 1920s is when it became really, you know, well built. This was all where they still had streetcars as well. And they also development did follow the places that had streetcars. Most of the major arteries in Chicago, Western Avenue, Irving Park, they had streetcars. We tend to purchase buildings along, you know, close to public transportation, primarily the L tracks. You know, if it's within two blocks of an L train, that's good. A lot of people have given up using cars in the city for various reasons, so they want to be near public transportation. Thanks to many people, including Montgomery Ward and Marshall Field, they saved the lakefront, which was, you know, in the 18, 18, late 1800s, was a source of cholera outbreaks. And it was a swamp because we were dumping, you know, the Chicago River flowed right into the lake till they reversed it. It got pretty nasty downtown, not to mention the fact that we were the railroad capital of the Midwest. It was train tracks and a harbor for shipping. So it was pretty ugly for a long time. And because of the pollutants of the Chicago River, the sewage going into the lake, you know, people don't realize that there were cholera outbreaks in Chicago until they reversed the floor of the Chicago River so that it no longer, they reversed it and built canals so that it would eventually go into the Mississippi. You are as Chicago as Chicago gets. In terms of that, my great-grandparents came and settled in Indiana in the 1870s. I'm Polish. My ancestry is Polish. And then they moved to Chicago in the 1890s, and they all started working at the the steel mills. And my grandfather and his five sons worked in the mills. My mother worked in the steel mills. I worked in the steel mills. I I wouldn't think of living in another city. I just couldn't picture it. There's something about the, the vitality of the city. To me, the thought of living in the suburbs just does not appeal to me. I like the city. I mean, you really did it, and you make it seem pretty easy, but it isn't. You are the success story. You have to have passion for what you do. I think you should have passion for treating other people as you want it to be treated. I think you have to have care for your tenants. I think you have care for your workers, because after all, I mean, if I didn't have my workers, I didn't have my tenants, I would not be successful. Try to make money in an honest and fair way. Is it hard work? Yes. But in the long haul, you know, everybody will come up to you and say, well, you know, you've done very well. You've got all these buildings. And, you know, well, yes, I do. But I didn't plan on it that way. But it just kind of happened. I think it kind of comes involved with um, always doing the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. It's allowed me and I can teach people. I, I have become a teacher. You know, I teach my employees and, and they have one thing in common, you know, they're ambitious, they don't mind work, and they're responsible. Anything else they can learn. The only thing I can't teach is ambition. It's kind of like you either have ambition or you don't have ambition. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but the guys that have it, that do it, that work hard, reap the rewards of that. There's something pure and good about work. As human beings, work in many ways makes us feel good. That's why it's important to work at something that you like. Whether it's lucrative or not lucrative, that's not the point since you're not going to take any money with you. But if you work at what you're, and you follow your heart, you work at something you like and you're into that, then if you stay with it long enough, you'll gather whatever success that may be. 
I only look at the clock to see how late it is because and how many more things I have to do for the day. It's good to be busy. You know, I'm still the guy that fixes the toilets in the place. Never ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And that's hard to do. It can be hard to do, but I think it's important, you know, otherwise there's some terrible jobs, but you have to respect the people that do those terrible jobs. And what greater respect can you have than being, being willing to do it yourself? Isn't that what makes it dignified? Chicken in the car and the car can't go. That's how you spell Chicago. I have no idea what that means. My grandfather used to say it all the time, but he said a lot of weird towards the end. But that's a different story. In all seriousness, if you're looking for an apartment in the Chicago area or you're planning a move to the Chicago area, you owe it to yourself to take a look at Hunter Properties first. You're not going to find a better property management company in the city. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Randy Pavlik from Hunter Properties today. Check him out at hunterproperties.com. And if you do decide to pay them a visit, be sure to tell them that you heard about us here. Last call, everybody. I don't remember what I did.